Hello, and welcome to the Jedi Sorter. I am your host, Jay Larson, and joining me again is my co-host, Patrick Whiting. Hello, Patrick. Howdy. How's it going, Jay? Uh, I'm, I am well. What about you? Not too bad. Can't complain. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so this is our obviously our second uh, episode. Um, our first episode, we, we talked a little bit about our anticipation for the game and some of our initial experiences playing the game and this episode uh we're going to first off we're going to talk a little bit about turn one play and then after that we're we're going to talk a little bit about our thoughts on the game on what we kind of expected it to be versus how we feel about the game after playing you know a a few games under our belt and and where we think things are so uh first thing we wanted to um, go over is talking about uh, turn really it's kind of turn zero um, strategies with your uh, team and doing deployment um, strategies for turn one and things of that nature. So um, I I think one of the, the first things that's important for us to go over as kind of the foundation um, so that people know what we're talking about and why we're thinking this way is, and and I think that in even some of the, the demos that we've watched online from Atomic Mass Games, it seems like they maybe didn't do this in some of their videos, but as near as we can tell from, from reading the rules, this what we're going to talk about is is the correct way to play the the rules. <laughs> and um, and how that can impact some strategies. So um, I've I've been teasing this a little bit, Patrick. What what exactly am I talking about? Um, <laughs> well, I think I get, I think I know what you're talking about, but uh, okay. I can. Um, I, I think it is important to preface this that it's um, turn zero plays with this current mission pack. We don't know what the yes. future mission pack Correct. is going to yeah. look like. Mm-hmm. So. Um, important important distinction um but uh do you want me to so i guess i guess jay uh the 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 main thing i was driving that with talking about like um turn one and and referencing like some of the the demos that we'd seen on the videos and the rules was that the the way i currently understand the rules operate is that at the end of turn one there is the 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 active player does not score scenarios. Correct. But you do still, both sides still can um, gain control of scenario points. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that is, as far as I understand things as well, that is accurate. Yep. So it's going to be super tragic <laughs> when uh, we, we, we post this podcast and uh, get some uh, rule that we missed in the rule booklet um, that we got this wrong because this whole <laughs> this whole segment is kind of based upon this but um so the, the reason why i bring this up is because it's it's very easy in the in the current uh scenario pack for you to have models deployed so such that they are uh contesting the three scenario points that are on your side of the table it's yeah if you do it right you should be able to to be within two inches, uh, even with the the smaller of the two base sizes, um, pretty easily, pretty easily. Yeah. So, um, 
the and there's there's several reasons why this is important. Um, one is, uh, as an example, let's let's say that um, I'm going second, and I have a scenario point that is is being contested by a model, a character, and at the end of turn one, uh, that and it's let's say it's an active scenario point, and at the end of turn one, I'll put my token out there and say that I control it. And let's say that it, it comes to turn two and it's, it's the start of my turn and I, I draw my card and it's this character that we're talking about that has already controlled that scenario point. Um, because that scenario point is already controlled, that character now has the freedom to move deeper into the table and hopefully try to control another scenario point, either that that you wouldn't if if you didn't do the turn one uh, control marker, you would have had to have chosen between you know am I going to stay back here and uh, contest this one that I'm already standing by, or am I going to move into the middle of the table? Uh, with the strategy that we're talking about, you on your opponent's turn one, you gain control of. Uh, the scenario that you're standing by, and then you draw the card, and you have the freedom to move into the middle of the table. So um, it does make a, a pretty big difference, in my opinion, um, if you're able to effectively um, employ the strategy. Um, I, what's, I, what, are, what are your thoughts? Uh, no, yeah, I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, a lot of this game, from the very moment that you start putting your models on the table uh, to the very end, um, is it's very, very pace-driven. Uh, and if you are if you are a step behind on the very first part of the game, that could that could even um, I mean that could that could set up a very steep hill to climb. Just that one. Um, uh, oversight or or i mean maybe you're a risk taker and you really want to play one side psych your opponent out a little bit uh and really roll the co- kind of the cosmic dice uh the the last game i played uh, my opponent did just that uh there's a lot of there's a lot of uh unknowns to the, especially the initial part of the game including you won't I mean, including the first struggle, you won't know what the layout is. So covering mm-hmm. your your literal bases. Yeah, uh, it is. It is important to note <laughs> that you do this uh, where you you set up your um, sorry you, you do your deployment before the scenario is revealed. Which That's correct. Yeah, is is an important thing to note and a, a minor um, rule to. Uh, to take note of <laughs> but yeah. minor but easy, important <laughs> easy to overlook yeah, yeah it is important to and i in respect to the the last game i played we set up my opponents deployed center and to my left or their right nothing nothing on on my right side or their left side whatsoever and we flipped that first that uh first struggle over and they got real lucky that that it wasn't the inverse. Um, so it was the it was the right sort of zigzag. Uh, mm-hmm. Had it been the opposite, I, I think it could have been a um, an even more difficult situation uh, than than it, it was. Uh, so it's important to to really be mindful that you're putting at least one character, hopefully even two, with the center one 
Um, yeah, I mean, uh, let's, next... let's talk a little bit about, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about how I personally view as likely best to do deployment. And this is, again, in relation to this mission pack, our expectation pack is, our expectation is that the other mission packs will have different setups, but mm-hmm. uh, this is, this is what we have for right now. True. So, uh, what I personally do is, so you have the, the three scenario points that are on your side of the table. And so if I, let's say I, I order the leftmost scenario point as scenario one, the middle is two and the right is three. Um, I'll, I'll pick one primary character. It will go in between scenario points one and two. And then I'll have the other characters that are kind of fanned out towards scenario points one and two so that I have both of them that are being contested from that character. And then my second primary character will go in the middle of of scenario points two and three, and they'll have characters that are fanned out so that they're both uh, contesting scenario points uh, two and three. And uh, that's that's. A sample deployment of how you can uh, obviously manage to, by the end of turn one, have all three of your uh, scenario points such that they're they're being contested. I think that's the the optimal way to to do do the deployment for this this particular mission pack. Uh, I can only I can only guess uh, as to why you would deviate, um, possibly for. For psyching your opponent out, or or maybe there's a plan for a long game, and this is a, a bigger brain approach to the game than I currently possess. But the the intent maybe isn't to necessarily win the first struggle, but you um, you're really planning uh, to to take to take the the reins for the second struggle. And I I mean that could be an interesting approach um, as the game and the players within it really develop is is whether or not you are a first struggle sort of player a second struggle sort of player or or maybe your team comps have have a design in mind to be later game than early yeah so i i also wanted to, to drill in a little bit uh, into the difference between going first and going second mm, because yeah. i had a i had a demo game recently where i went first and and i did this the setup that i mentioned and uh, where I managed to still mess things up. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about that. So what yeah. what happened was I was going first, and I didn't have things set up such that um, there were cards I could draw. Where if I drew that card, I had to make the choice of either staying back by a scenario point or moving to the forward position, but uh, I couldn't accomplish both. Um, so like in, in, and, and I, I guess to give you an example of, of how I was doing this, one of the ways that I was commonly doing the deployment, I, I mentioned I would have the primary character in the middle. Um, I would usually have the support characters, um, one support character on, you know, the, the left scenario point and the other one on the right point and then my secondary character would be in the middle not really contesting either Hmm. and so Mm -hmm. then i drew the secondary character and i then had the choice of oh i can and and in in this example the active one was uh the leftmost scenario point 
Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any, it was the very left most point uh, on the board. And so I didn't have any uh, help that was coming from the deployment from the other set of units on the other side of the board. And so my support character had the choice of either hanging back or moving forward. And I do think that there's, if, if you're going first, I think that there is a way to do that to, to mitigate this. And this is, again, uh, if, if we're numbering this, the scenarios leftmost as one, rightmost as three, um, I think that if you have your uh, secondary characters, one of them is on the left, one is on the right, and then on your left deployment, if you have your, sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up words that support characters that, that have two, two models in it. Yeah. Um, so you have a support character that is on the left and right. And then the secondary character, I think you want to try to get it on the left part. If you're on the left deployment and on the right deployment, you want to have it on the, the so it's contesting the right scenario. Um, and the reason why that is, if you, it basically makes it so that there is enough, uh, double support going on that no matter who you draw in your activation deck, uh, you'll be able to have someone staying back contesting a scenario point and still be able to move forward with the unit that uh, you drew. So what I said is, is probably, I, I mixed up a lot of words. Uh, did, did what I say make sense to you, Patrick, or, or should I try to re-explain the idea? I think, I think so. So let me see if I, if I heard this right. The, Essentially, what you've come come to the conclusion is is you have your primary still in between those two points, mm-hmm. and then uh, on I, I like to refer to it as the fan. So the the secondary and supports are fanned out from that primary, and you have the secondary uh, from from each group on the furthest part of that fan from the primary. Is that right? So you have you have that that secondary on the leftmost group on the outside of that fan at that left fan and you have the secondary on the rightmost group uh on the far right side of that fan is that is that what i hear yeah essentially basically you want to have so if if i'm uh if i'm going over what is contesting each uh number objective on objective 1 i would have my leftmost secondary unit and then mm-hmm. one of the one of the yeah. support models I and then see. In, I see. then in the middle i have one of the support models from the left and one of the support models from the right and then on scenario three i have one of the support models from the right and the secondary unit mm-hmm. and so each objective has two models contesting it mm-hmm. and so if i whatever card i draw they're still going to, if I move something out, there's still going to be something left back there contesting that objective. I think that that is a very pertinent, excuse me, pertinent way to, to go about it. I, I do something similar, but I am maybe a little bit more cavalier with my supports. And um, by that, I mean, I, I don't mind since there's usually going to be two models um, excuse me, in, in my support unit, if they activate first, I don't often have a huge problem with 
that as one is going to move up a little bit further than the other and uh, one will hang back and, and if I can I will have another possibly hopefully scoring uh, the the other sort of active but uncontested point I did that in my last game where now I will say I got lucky and I had Kalani uh, go first but Kalani was in the center of of that and pushed all of my droids up and I still had one droid hanging back on the far active uh, objective token and then the other uh, B1 uh, and these were B1s uh, go all the way to the the middle one and secure that one and I I think that works too although your approach is definitely more I mean, you've got you've got every possible scenario covered. So I, I might even follow what you're doing and and still have have more options that way. I think that that yeah, is. Yeah, I I went through. I had quite a few games where um, this didn't come up because, like you'd said, the, the the majority of the times you have to get kind of unlucky to have it mm-hmm. not uh, uh, work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and like I said, I had a game where I drew that card and I was like, oh, this, <laughs> this feels really bad. I don't like this at all. How can I, <laughs> how can I fix this? So, uh, that was, that was an idea I had with deployment that I wanted to pass on to listeners. Hopefully it, it, it can be difficult sometimes to, um, you know, describe things spatially on a, an audio format. So <laughs> hopefully that wasn't too awful to, uh, visualize, but uh, those are a couple of thoughts on some some turn zero deployment stuff. Um, another another thing I was wanting to touch on with deployment are the stance cards on your primary characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Patrick, what what thoughts, if any, of you had on uh, stance cards with primary characters? Well, it's uh, it's easy to forget or overlook that that is a part of the deployment is picking which stance that they are going to begin the game in, and uh, I've especially while I'm learning and, and the same goes for my opponents, I've been pretty pretty gracious about making sure even if some things have started going, uh, we we are correctly on the stance side that we we wanted and intended to, and not whatever. It ended up being uh, when we pulled all of the stuff out of our bags. But it is important to remember, uh, especially as as organized play gets going for people, that you be mindful about picking that that right stance, whether it be a more defensive stance or maybe a more uh, aggressive stance, depending on your style or the character's style or the matchup, etc. I I would make sure that you put that on your Things to do as the game starts. Mental checklist. Uh, I have I have been taking more time and, and slowing down just so I don't forget to do that. Yeah, one of I guess one of the thoughts I've had with with stance cards, and I'm I'm curious uh, what your your thought on this is. Um, I've kind of adopted the strategy of the default of the stance that I'm going to have on my two primary characters to start off with. Um, is the more offensive side, mm. and I, 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 I'm not going to say that this is a universal rule because I'm sure there's probably some scenarios where that's likely not the best way to go. But here's here's kind of the um, logic that I have behind it. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, let's let's say that I'm playing, you know, uh, I don't know, Anakin, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I'm going first. I've at the at my deployment. I've set up on my offensive uh, stance. Um, my opponent, especially because because this game doesn't have like the the move move rule or or you're you're limited in taking one type of action at a time. Mm-hmm. You don't really have some of the stuff that you saw in Marvel Crisis Protocol where there was like stuff shooting into deployment zone or um, like at, at least with the stuff we have right now, I feel pretty safe in my deployment zone, especially especially my primary characters because they're the ones farthest back. And so if my character isn't going to be getting attacked, my thought is if I have my stance on my offensive side, when I draw that character, he can move up uh, into the middle of the table, do his attacks, and then assess assess things at the end of the turn. And if I think that he's going to, you know, be getting attacked before uh, he comes up next time, uh, then I can at the end of my turn I can flip over onto my defensive side, and that set me up so that you know on on my turn when I'm activated I am uh, on I'm getting maximum offensive output. And then at the end of my turn, I'm going to defensive mode, and that'll hopefully help me survive a bit longer. Um, and I think that after turn one, there's a lot more decision points, or a lot more, um, uh, a lot more that goes into deciding what stance you're wanting to, you know, be, when you're when in, if you're wanting to stay in a stance or change a stance, or when in your turn you're wanting to change a stance. Um, but that's kind of a, the the thought process that I've had on kind of turn one stances that starting at, at the start, you're fairly safe. You, you're starting offensive. You go up, have an offensive turn and then flip to defensive at the end of the turn. Um, it seems like a, a pretty strong opening strategy for the majority of the time. I, I would agree. I think to add to that, uh, some characters don't really have a defensive side. Yeah. They just have different types of aggressive yeah, sides. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, and, and there's also a lot of times where, you know, I, I think another thing that's important is learning um, the the combat trees of, of each of your primary characters because, yeah, yeah. you know, on each step they can do different things, obviously, and each side can do a lot of different things. And, and as you play a character more, you're going to learn uh, a play style better and mm-hmm. and and what you're wanting to get with you know each of the, each of your successes and so um that's obviously an important factor as well and so i i, I think you're right I, I did simplify that down probably a, a little bit more than it should have been um but no, sorry I, I i interjected a little bit so uh go on with what you were you were saying oh no oh i agree with you i think that that is a good a good way to start I think it's it's a really strategically minded approach. Uh, and the only extra thing that I would add to what we've already said is some characters have a very sort of profound ranged capacity, like Dooku or Maul. And it, when I'm playing those characters, I'll often pick that side to begin the game mm-hmm. and yeah. only switch to, to the other side if, if there's a contextual reason within the game or... Uh, and and often I guess not or but this is this is usually when I switch switch the pace is uh, close quarters because the the one side of Dooku that is 
close quarters based is pretty pretty ferocious, uh, I think. And uh, the close quarters side for Maul is is about the same, but he is a little bit more impactful if he has to be in in the fray with one side of, over the other. Uh, generally generally speaking, I am I still don't know how to qualify Maul sometimes, but the yeah, that's the that's really the only other only other thought I have on terms of in terms of stance stances when we start the game. Yeah. So what uh, I guess before we wrap up talking about you know deployment and turn zero turn one stuff, is there is there anything that any additional thoughts you had or things you wanted to cover with it? Um, the the only other thing I would add moving from zero to one and and then subsequently quickly into turn two, because those first sort of three parts of the game, if you can break them down like that, they happen really quickly. And it's important to be mindful that you you're scoring at the end of every single one of your turns. So there's really not a lot of time to just wait and set up a plan. You have to keep going, keep acting. And uh, it, it's it's important to to be able to think on your feet moving from the very start of the game into the the rest of it. So keep keep in mind that the game scores consistently, constantly. It's not at the end of, of a round or anything like that. So just be be mindful that you have to keep pushing the the narrative there. Yeah, I guess the the only um, only thought I have with it is that. It does seem like a game, or Shatterpoint in general seems like a game where if you play someone where they they come into the game with a plan early on, how uh, they're going to have some opening move plays, and you come into the game without that, and are just kind of like fumbling your way along, um, you're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage. So I, I think that putting some thought into that is... Mm-hmm. Um, is valuable. I also think that um, you know, I we we when we, when we had our weekend together playing with each other, we one of the discussions we had was how you know if you manage to win the very first scenario, you're kind of in the driver's seat mm-hmm. the rest of the game, and the your your chance of winning the game overall feels significantly higher than the other player and. And in a lot of ways, it should work that way because if if you know you start the game and you're halfway to winning, uh, you you should have a better chance of winning the game <laughs> overall versus someone who has to go two in a row. Um, but it does make it important that um, not that it's obviously impossible for you to claw back from losing that first point, but winning that first point is is super valuable, is super important. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is. I I I did play a game recently where I lost the first one and won the the second two, but it was a it was a real nail biter. Like it was a it, that game was ferocious, ferocious. So if you can win the first one, it's yeah, I agree with you. It is easier to to win the the rest of the game. Yeah, I have. It would be once once you know I don't know that even the stat is even being collected, but <laughs> uh yeah. I could see at some point when the when the community has matured and there's a lot more data collection going on, it'd be super interesting to see the win loss rate for mm-hmm. 
like what if you whoever wins the first scenario mm-hmm. um what their win loss rate is for the game after that point it would be really interesting it would be really interesting and if there's uh additionally for my own curiosity too and as something i mentioned earlier uh, if there's some sort of connection to uh character loadouts that that if a if a player is winning uh rounds or struggles two and three uh and if they have a if, if there's a character loadout that really facilitates that happening uh or or the just overall sort of data around around the character uh inclusions too yeah yeah i i'm also kind of curious um how frequently if so let's say that we're playing a game i win the first scenario i'm i'm kind of curious how often it'll play out that let's let's say i end up winning the game overall um how frequently it happens that i win this on the second scenario versus the third one mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. It, it does seem like a pretty common pattern where um you know x player wins the first scenario the the other player then picks the the map that is an, ad, an advantage to them they win the second scenario and then it goes to the third one and the player who um won the first one then has the the option of picking the map they pick the one that is an advantage to them and then they win the game at the on the third scenario yeah yeah i i am curious to see that that, that has been uh even though we got a few things wrong when we were playing um uh, over the weekend uh i think that despite some of those those things we we got wrong that was often often the the outcome you'd win one i'd win the second one you'd win the third one uh i played a, another game where where that happened where i won the first one lost the second one won the third one uh i've only it's only happened to me once where i've lost the first one and then won the second and third uh and, and I think too, uh, just a just sort of a random thought to this. Uh, if you, as a player, start getting really good at determining, like maybe maybe the first struggle is just sort of done. There's really no chance that you're going to win. And pivoting to a very strong, and I, I suspect there's going to be some memorization of of the mission pack at this point. Uh, but pivoting to a position that's very, very strong for the later game, uh, second and, and hopefully third struggles. Uh, I think that being able to, to pick out uh, different in-game trends or, or um, flashpoints for, for when it's about to pivot one way or another, that's going to be a, a real sort of growth, uh, a growth point for a player, I feel, being able to determine when, when it's a good time to change tactics. All right, so uh, we said the, the the next part of the podcast we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, ways in that uh, the the game may be played a little bit differently than than what we expected. Um, and uh, so, Patrick, I'll, I guess I'll let you go first. What what are some of the things that surprised you the most about the game versus what you expected going into it? Going into it, I I had a thought that it, its pacing was going to be closer to marvel where there's a little bit a little bit more opportunity to plan a little bit more opportunity to sort of strategize and not really having a whole lot of experience uh with this particular approach to scenario i I actually can't recall really a whole lot of games that have have really gone this direction 
I I realized pretty quickly after having the rubber meet the road that that was not going to be how this game how this game played at all. And uh, with respect to something I mentioned earlier, like there's there's a constant pressure to to keep pushing the scenario. There is no real time to stop. It's a constant sort of tactical battle uh and it really and i think in the last cast i mentioned uh it feels very much like uh, a fencing game so much is happening uh on the board and up in your head and it's very swift and and very quick when the whole whole sort of circumstance unravels where you think you're really ahead and just a shove here and a shove there and you are you are on your on your butt uh, I, I did not expect that. I actually really, really love it. Uh, I I just didn't really expect that that would be how it played at first. How about you? What what were, uh, were sort of your expectations? <laughs> I know you uh, you were just sort of taking it all in real quick, real quick when we were playing over the weekend. But I mean, how about how about at this point? Um, I think that I I think I mentioned this a little bit in our first podcast, but I think it's probably worth reiterating that one of the things that surprised me quite a bit is how much this game it feels like is not really an attrition game oh yeah mm-hmm. um the in in most miniatures games i've played um you are you're trying to remove the others your opponent's models from the table and that as you do that you're going to you know be gaining an advantage whether it's you know, removing more models from the table or in scenario or whatever. And this game doesn't really feel that way to me. Um, it feels much more as though um, you, um, the, a lot of the reason why you are trying to wound other characters is to either gain momentum tokens or to make it so that they're not contesting scenario points. Um, and it feels a lot more scenario focused to me in in the reason why you're you're doing some of those things than uh other games where the point really is trying to remove the model from the table and and in this game it feels like it's it's being able to remove a model from the table is so far out that it's not having that as like your primary focus is not a smart plan <laughs> no i agree that i think that was something that i also sort of approached the 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 game uh at first was i'll just kill this character i'll i'll, I'll get rid of them and quickly realize that even even a, a b1 can be quite stubborn to remove from the board uh just completely i think i think that yeah i would agree that is also something that i was not expecting and in part too because there's no some of that requires some planning and setup, and there's just not the same opportunity in this game to to plan and, and set things up quite the same way. Uh, what? And let's let's go back to you. Is there uh, anything else that was uh, was kind of unexpected for you? Let's see. Yeah, actually, um, come to think of it, the amount of synergies to unpack and discover in the game are far richer than I first uh, gave it credit. I, I, I There were things that you were picking out that I thought, oh my gosh, that is, 
that is awesome. That is, I had not, I have not thought about it like that. And I was playing with another opponent and they are, they're really good at, at finding all these little nuances and uh, playing with all of the clones together really highlights truly how much there is to, to learn from, from each, each character and, and little things make a big difference. Uh, I wasn't, I really wasn't expecting that. Uh, I, I, I also love it too. It's it just feels like there's a constant horizon to explore and discover within the game. And I, that's one of my favorite things. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. One of the things that we were um, joking about with each other was that there were some of the locals who were kind of poo pooing the game uh-huh. and, and saying that, uh, you know, part of the reason why Shatterpoint was going to be a bad game is because it didn't really have, many decision points <laughs> and so you know it's it's a bad game because you don't have a lot of decision points and there's so many <laughs> and obviously that was not a concern that i had going into it it's not a concern i have now but it is funny yes. to me that uh, anyone you know I, I'm, I'm i'm sure they still probably have that opinion because honestly it was uh you know people of other game systems who were uh, kind of not wanting this to be a good game because they didn't want to see people leave their game of choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, which is a, it's a bummer to think, to think like that. I mean, more is more having more games is just better. Uh, I think, but, uh, it, I, it is definitely, uh, a very, very tactically rich and, uh, choice, choice point, uh, abundant, uh, sort of game. I, I have not, I have not felt like I have lacked either of those two things or wanted for either of those two things, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's, here's one that <laughs> surprised me. Um, and that is support units have not played the way that I expected. And, and some of that I think comes from the name that they have. Mm, yeah. When I hear support, I think of like, oh, I'm this this unit is going to kill Anakin like two hit points. <laughs> it's or, like the the Wong from Wong from MCP. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he's he's going to give this support unit is going to give another unit, you know, make him hit a little bit better. And instead, we play the game and a support unit activates, and it's two units activating, and they just like. All of a sudden, they're raining down death and destruction (laughs) (laughs) on the model that they are uh, focusing their uh, their intent upon, Mm -hmm. and that definitely was not what I expected when when I heard the term support model. So I I I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, I guess what was what did you, you? Going into the launch of the game, you had done a lot more research mm-hmm. than I had. Uh, what did you What did you expect from the support characters, and and so, and, yeah. and how did it actually play out for you? So I, I it is very hard to shake the idea of of he, support equals sort of the healer uh, role model. Um, even even though looking at the 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 models or the, their stat cards etc uh, i didn't get the vibe at least with what what we have now um 
that that they are that type of support. And what was even um, more interesting to me is that it seems like in some cases, especially with the secondaries, the secondaries almost see more of a supporty type role than the support units. Kalani being a really good example of just dialing up so much of of the the droid output and what they can do and where they can be, uh, and that's a secondary model. I was I was sort of not I, that didn't that wasn't the first impression that I had of those characters, and then seeing them perform like that on the table, uh, it, it was it was surprising. So expectation meeting reality. I I am happier with the reality. But the yeah, the expectation was that the supports weren't going to be quite as impactful uh, as they are. And I think I think the supports often have done more for me in the game than than off, even even the primaries yeah, many times. They just have so much presence. They're, that was the other thing is uh, like, how much yeah. presence. Yeah, it is. It is interesting that it feels like they have they there's. This this is going to lead in perfectly, I guess, to the topic that uh, we're going to have in the the bonus episode, where we're going to talk some about support characters. But uh, it is very interesting that um, you know they can have some pretty high offensive output since it's two models that are doing attacks, but they also can have some pretty high scenario presence since there's you know something that's that can be a very common. Um, dynamic in a game is you could have a model that is on a scenario point my card comes up to activate my support unit i move over those characters into um, the scenario element and now you have one model i have two without rolling any dice doing anything uh, i'm going to gain control of that scenario point mm-hmm. which is a dynamic that is very strong with the support characters. And so it does feel like there's this interesting dynamic with the support characters where they are um, in some ways the, the weakest characters in the game, but in other ways they can potentially be um, some of the most impactful at times as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, Absolutely. All right, well, we are going to wrap up episode two here. Did want to mention two things here at the end. Our Patreon is now live. You can, uh, if you join the Patreon, you're going to gain several benefits. The first one is that you'll be able to join the Discord that Patrick and I have that is just for people who uh, support the Patreon uh, my my husband tells me that I spend way too much time on Discord, so <laughs> you'll be able to <laughs> interact quite a bit with me. Um, two other things that are important is that uh, the the episodes, the main episodes, you'll gain early access to. So uh, people who are members of the Patreon will be able to listen to them first on Patreon as a subscriber, and then a week later uh, they go live to the general public. And so uh, you'll you'll gain some early access, and then also you'll gain access to the bonus episode, uh, where you'll be able to hear us do things like talk about the support character uh, units that we're going to talk about in in this bonus episode. So check out the Patreon for the Jedi Sorter. And uh, last thing is, as always, check out DiscountGamesInc.com. 
which is obviously the best place in the world that you can buy gaming-related items from. True story. True story. All right, well, let's wrap things up there. Patrick, do you have anything you want to say before we go? I just want to thank people for giving us their time, and I, uh, I think until next time, we're just to be continued. All right. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening, and have a great day. See ya.